Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 34 on page 561. A psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Thank you, Gordon, for reading for us. Uh, Good evening. Um, Let me add my welcome to that of Andy. My name is Chris Tufnell. I'm on the staff here. Um, I'll be preaching for us uh, now. Let me just uh, pray for us as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you do speak to us through your word, the Bible. And so as we come to it now, we pray that you would give us humble hearts to hear and to respond rightly to what you have to say to us tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, this has been an exciting week in my family because we've got a pet cat for the first time. Very exciting for us. We've been hoping to get one for a few years now. Uh, I think we just like the thought of coming through the door um, uh, and having a cat kind of brushing around our legs and purring and being welcomed home and sitting on the sofa and stroking it. Uh, That's what we uh, were hoping for. you see where this is going already. Uh, we got this, uh, this cat this, this week. It's a year old and it's a house cat. Um, it's uh, been living in the same flat really for um, its whole life. And so when it turned up to our house this week, its whole world was turned upside down, the poor creature. And what's more, in our home, um, it has two young boys chasing it around the whole time as well. So this poor nervous cat is being terrorised in our house at the moment. And I came down on Friday morning and looked for the cat and I couldn't see it anywhere. 
And I thought, how on earth has this cat got out of the house? I looked everywhere for it until I noticed um, in the kitchen, um, you know uh, that wooden board you get underneath the kitchen cabinets, between the floor and the kitchen cabinet? I noticed one of them was a little bit ajar. And I went, uh huh, uh, I'm onto you. And I shone a torch in there and just saw these two beady eyes shining back at me. And this cat had, had worked its way right into the corner at the back. It was cowering in the corner of underneath these cupboards. Um, with all the rubble and the cobwebs, just terrified, trying to find somewhere um, that it felt secure or safe. And uh, I tried to get the cat out, and it was, it was batting my hand away and hissing and scratching. So if you're thinking of getting a cat, um, uh, it's lovely. Really recommend it. Anyway, um, I, reflecting on this, I thought um, our instincts as humans is just the same as that. When our worlds are turned upside down, when our securities seem to fall away, when um, we feel threatened, uh, we do just that. We seek somewhere that can feel like a place of security or refuge. In those moments in, in my own life, I know that there are a whole host of things that I'm tempted to kind of go to for refuge or security. My family, they love me, so they make me feel kind of secure. Uh, my friends, same sort of thing. My finances, perhaps I, I look at how much money I've got in the bank, I think, you know, well, at least that would keep me going for a while, whatever else happened. Or my home, you know, you close the curtains, you snuggle up on the sofa, watch TV and just try and forget about everything else, a place of security like that. Maybe it's your reputation, your, your job, those sorts of things. But the thing is that sooner or later in life, we find that those things can't rescue us from all the troubles of life. Often they're the cause of our troubles, not their solution. And so where do we go then in those kind of times? Last year they released the film Darkest Hour. Some of you will have seen it. It records four weeks in 1940 when this country seemed at its most vulnerable. And it looks at those at the heart of government, of course led by Winston Churchill at that time. And you see them looking to different things to kind of give them security. They, they look to allies, but that doesn't work out. They look to diplomacy, that didn't go too well. Uh, then they look to their army to give them safety and security, but they're cornered on the beaches of Dunkirk and facing annihilation. And as you see these potential securities falling away, you see the kind of resilience and resolve of these wartime leaders draining away as they realize just how vulnerable and at need they are. That was this country's darkest hour, and sometimes we will feel a bit like that. Like all our securities, all the things we trusted in aren't cutting it. And so where do we turn then in those times? Well, in this psalm that we're looking at tonight, David tells us where he turned in his darkest hour. And we need to hear what he has to say to us tonight, whether or not we're personally in a dark place right now, because we will be one day. And when that day comes, we will be left cowering in the corner, unsure of who we can trust without a psalm like this. And so tonight we need each of us to allow David, as it were, to put an arm around our shoulder and say, let me tell you what happened to me and let me persuade you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And anything else that you might trust in just won't cut it. Unlike anything else you might seek safety or comfort in, he's the only one who can save you from all of life's troubles. That's what we're going to see tonight in Psalm 34. The message of this psalm is simply this, that in a time of affliction, if you seek God and seek good, you'll find safety forever. Seek God, seek good 
find safety forever. Uh, Well, we begin this psalm uh, with the um, heading under Psalm 34, and uh, let me just read it for us now. It says, Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. And this uh, transports us back to an account that we read of in 1 Samuel chapter 21, when David was fleeing from Saul. He wasn't yet the king of Israel. Saul was still king, clinging to the throne, and deeply paranoid that David was trying to kill him to take the throne. Even though that was clearly not true, David on more than one occasion had had the opportunity to kill Saul, but hadn't. And yet Saul was pursuing him. So David was a victim of Saul's paranoia and he was fleeing. And on this one occasion, he had to flee from Saul outside of the kingdom of Israel into uh, the country of the Philistines. And he found himself turning up at the gates of a city called Gath. And the thing about Gath is there was a very famous soldier from there who David had a bit of a run in with called Goliath. And so David has fallen straight out of the firing pan into the fire. As he flees from Saul, he is turning up at the gates of people who really want him dead. If if the Philistines had an MI5 department, um, admittedly evidence for that is sketchy, but if they did, he would be at the top of the most wanted list. They want this guy dead. And so as he turns up, what possible hope does he have? And he turns to the most bizarre, last-ditch effort to try and save himself. He pretends to be crazy. He starts dribbling down his beard and muttering and kind of scratching the doors and things like that, thinking, well, maybe they'll think I'm crazy and they'll just send me away. And astonishingly, bizarrely, it seems to work. The king of Gath kind of has this guy brought to him and looks at him and goes, well, he's clearly not a threat to us anymore. And frankly, I haven't got time for crazy dribbling people, so please can you take him away? And David gets away. And now looking back on this occasion, David is, is, is quite clear that he didn't get out of there because of the quality of his, act, his acting. He got out because he was rescued by God. It was clearly a miraculous uh, event that God had saved him in that way. And so looking back, he begins this psalm by praising God in verse 1. Have a look down. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And then he invites others who are afflicted to join him. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David's saying, I've got this reason to praise God, so come and join me in doing that. Notice he says in verse 1, that he will extol the Lord at all times, all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And if it weren't for knowing the context of this psalm, we might well think, well, David is being a bit naive, isn't he? At all times, really? Surely that's naive. But because we know the context, we know that David isn't naive. So what's going on here? We might ask, why should the afflicted praise the Lord? The blessed, sure, but the afflicted? Come on, David. And the answer comes back because we should praise the Lord because he's the one um, who is always there for the afflicted. Always there. Look down at verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. In verses four, five, six, seven, David does this thing twice where he says, look, this thing has happened to me. This was my experience. It can be yours too. This was my experience. It can be yours too. Just have a look down. This can be my experience. Verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. It can be your experience too. Verse five. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. 
This was my experience, verse 6. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. And so this, it can be your experience too, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. It's worth seeing just in these verses something that David isn't saying and something that he is saying. Uh, what he isn't saying, as we look at verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. What he's, na- what he's not saying is that if you're someone who looks to the Lord, there will never be a time in your life where you experience shame. He's recounting a, 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 a time when he was very much covered with shame at the gates of the city of Gath. But what he's saying is that if you lined up everyone who looks to the Lord, there would never in any one of their cases be someone who at the final count, on the final day, is covered in shame. It's not a promise that we will never be in our lives, in any individual's life, covered in shame. That might make us think, well, am I not looking to the Lord right? Am I doing something wrong? No, he's saying in the end, at the final count, you will never be covered in shame if you're one who looks to the Lord. Positively speaking, something that he is saying in these verses, if you look at verse six, he says, this poor man called. The word translated there to, um, as poor man is exactly the same word in verse two that is translated as the afflicted. And it's worth seeing that because it just helps us to see what's going on here. This is one afflicted man speaking to other afflicted people, calling them to seek their safety in the same God. He's saying, I've been in a place of affliction. Let me show you the way to a place of safety. He's on the same level of us as us. He's just speaking to us as peers. I've been afflicted, you're afflicted. Let me show you the way to the Savior. Uh, this uh, summer, uh, my family and I went camping down in Devon. Um, everyone always asks you when you say that, well, how did you sleep? Because that's the thing that ruins a camping holiday if you don't sleep well. Well, I'm very glad to say that I slept very well. And um, I slept, obviously, in my sleeping bag. And I think the, the, way that, the reason I slept so well is I, I felt safe and secure in my tent. I was in a bedroom, in a tent, on a campsite with security that had walls and gates and hedges all around it. So I felt very secure with all those layers of security. But imagine what it would be like to sleep with none of those layers of security. That was David's experience at the time that he's, uh, he was fleeing from Saul. And um, uh, for David, it would have been a, a huge comfort on those lonely nights to read what he does in verse seven. As you go to, well, let me read verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Why so comforting? Well, as you go to sleep, if you have no layers of protection around you, then all it takes is for someone to stumble upon your location and they can kill you. You're making yourself vulnerable by going to sleep. And so what a comfort on lonely nights for him to have read, well, to have thought of verse seven and that truth that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And so he's saying, that was my experience. It can be your experience too to know that kind of protection and security. So in this Psalm so far, having called us to praise the Lord, And having said, this was my experience, it can be yours too. He now explicitly tells us to seek God. This is what he's really been leading up to so far in this this psalm, for us to seek God. Let me just read verses eight to 10. Taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions, with all their strength and might, may grow weak and hungry, 
But those who seek the Lord, despite their weakness, lack no good thing. In these verses, I think it might just be helpful to say, when we hear the word fear, it's good for us to, I think most of us will be most helped by uh, thinking revere when we hear the word fear. There are lots of things that David was terrified of, but that's not what he's talking about in terms of his relationship with God. He's talking about a reverence and a respect for God that I think is most um, communicated uh, for us in the word revere. So think revere when you hear the word fear. Um, And in verse nine, it, it would therefore say something like this, revere the Lord, you his saints, for those who revere him lack nothing. Now I find it, an extraordinary thing that David, with all that he was apparently lacking, can say in these verses that if you revere the Lord, you lack no good thing. As someone who has loads of stuff, I find it very difficult to imagine how it is that someone can have so little and still say, you know, I had everything. I lack nothing. And I think uh, the way I make sense of that is this. Many who have gone through suffering have said it's only when the Lord is all you have that you realize the Lord is all you need. And so those of us with much are at a handicap in understanding how true these verses are. And perhaps that's why we need to taste and see for ourselves that what David is saying is true. I'm not a big fan of cookery shows, but I've got an illustration for those of you who are. So you see, I'm looking after you tonight. I've watched enough to see that what basically happens is you spend a lot of time watching people make these things. And then the judges come up and they look at them, they go, oh yeah, that's very nice. You've got the layers, very good, very good piping or whatever. And um, they do all that, all the technical stuff. Um, and, uh, but then there's always that bit where they take a fork and they take a bit off and they eat it and they go, mmm, mmm, that's really good, the lemon's really coming through or something like that. And you never, as you're watching the TV, is it really any good or are they just saying that for the camera? But, but anyway, there's always that bit where they taste and see for themselves. And that's where we get that phrase from, the, pr- the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. And so maybe it's that kind of sense that David it, it has in his mind as he writes that we need to taste and see for ourselves. The proof of the pudding is in the tasting. Uh, You can look, you can know the theory, but it's only in your darkest hour when you really seek the Lord and when you really taste that you will see that he is as dependable as you had heard that he was. So up until this point in the psalm, David has been telling us to seek God. Seek God in times of affliction. And now he turns to tell us to seek good in the next few verses, verse 11 to 14. Let me just read verse 11. He says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, or what it is to revere the Lord. Revering God means that you will seek good, that you will seek to live God's way in the world. As I read verses 12 to 14, the the things that David writes here are not a random list of morals They are very linked to David's experience of fleeing from Saul. Let me show you how that works. Verse 12. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You see, David was fleeing from Saul. Saul was lying about him saying he was trying to take the throne by force. It just wasn't true. David was being persecuted and afflicted terribly. 
years on the run from Saul. And so the temptation to turn and to lie back, to speak evil of Saul must have been huge. But he's saying, if you want to live God's way, if you want to live a good life because you revere him, turn from evil. Don't do that. Stop your lips from speaking lies. Um, he, was, uh, he was being pursued by Saul, p- someone who was bent on conflict. And yet he writes, seek peace. Pursue peace. Ah, oh, the temptation to turn and to fight with words or with fists, one way or another, to turn and fight, to stand your ground. And for us too, when we are victims, when we are afflicted, ah, the temptation to turn to evil, to fight back, to retaliate, to lash out. When the afflicted seek God as someone who uh, reveres him, they will seek good as well. Don't lash out in that way. Don't retaliate. Rather, seek God. And as someone who reveres him, seek good. This is what it means to revere the Lord. It means to seek good, even when on the receiving end of evil. And now in the rest of this psalm, what David does is gives us our motivation for living like this when we face our darkest hour. The motivation is this. Because if you seek God and seek good, you'll find safety forever. Seek God, seek good, find safety forever. In these last eight verses, verses 15 to 22, David keeps referring to the righteous. And who he's got in mind there is simply those who seek God and who seek good, those who revere the Lord and live like it. I'm just going to read through uh, those verses, 15 to 22. And as uh, as I do this, we're going to have a bit of a Bible study. I want you to look down for all of the ways Uh, that we see that the Lord treats the righteous. All the ways that the Lord treats the righteous in verses 15 to 22. Let me read. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is why in times of affliction, we are to seek God and seek good, because those who do will receive the attention, hearing, deliverance, Closeness, salvation, protection, redemption, and refuge of the Lord. It's quite a list, isn't it? Finding safety forever isn't immediate. Verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles. It's not a ticket to a trouble-free life. But the person who suffers righteously, that is, they seek God and seek good, in times of affliction, they will nonetheless enjoy God's protection. And ultimately, the second half of verse 19, the Lord will deliver him from them all, from all of their troubles. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And that's because for the Christian, after death comes resurrection into a new life without evil or suffering or disease. So when a Christian dies after a life of suffering and affliction and we wonder why the Lord didn't deliver them from all that suffering? The answer is simply this. 
he did. I was praying recently with a man who is in chronic pain and has been for years. And uh, as I prayed with him, I prayed, I prayed for healing. And then I said, but Lord, if it's not your will for healing now, uh, we thank you so much that there is a day of resurrection when we will have new bodies. And as I was praying, this man went, yes, amen. And I was kind of taken aback. And I thought, you know what, I think he believes that more than I do. But of course, that's not really very surprising, isn't it? Because it's when we're in those darker hours that we come to see and believe in a new way just how dependable the Lord is. For all this, there is no greater example for us than the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, We've already been singing uh, some words from Isaiah 53 tonight. Uh, It says there, he was a man of many sorrows and familiar with suffering. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Instead, he turned from evil and did good. And in the darkest hour of his life, as he hung dying on the cross, we hear him seek God. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We hear him seek good. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even though it looked and seemed and felt like it was all over, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After he died, he was raised and rescued by the Father. And now where is he? He's, he's found safety forever. You see? And so when we think of Jesus suffering and dying on the cross and wonder why the Lord didn't deliver him from that suffering, the answer is simply this, he did. And when we look at our own suffering and wonder why the Lord hasn't delivered us from it, the answer is simply this, he will from all of it. And I can have confidence of that, not because I've always perfectly sought God. Not because I have in every instance, on every occasion, sought good. And not because I'm a perfectly innocent sufferer as Jesus was. I'm not. None of us is. But because of verse 22. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. When we take refuge in the Lord, we're never condemned because on the cross, Jesus was condemned in our place. It's why Romans 8 verse 1, a very similar verse to this one, says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think one of the um, nicest sounds there is in the world is uh, when on a rainy day like this, you're inside a tent and you hear the sound of the rain drumming on the roof. And the reason those in the tent are safe from the storm is because the tent is receiving it for them. And as Christians, as those who are taking refuge in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, the reason we can feel comfort and peace and safety, the reason there is for us no condemnation is because he received the condemnation for us. Perhaps there's one sound that's a little better. And that is, for the reason I've just said, the sound of the name of Jesus. The old hymn writer writes this, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It's why we treasure Jesus. And it's why it's only in him, our God and our saviour, that we will find safety forever. Seek God, seek good, find safety forever. 
Here's why this is so relevant to all of us here tonight, whether a Christian or not, whether in a dark place or not. Because it's only in our darkest hour where we, when we realize where we should have been rely, what we should have been relying on in, in every hour of our lives. It's only when other securities fall away that we see where true security really lies. It's only when the Lord is all you have that you realize the Lord is all you need. And so we all need to learn from the darkest hours of ourselves and of others that God is the only one in whom we can find safety forever. He's not somewhere or someone to run to just in the worst of times, as though he was only there for when other options run out. He's the one we should find our security in at all times. I will extol the Lord at all times, verse 1. And then when our darkest hour does come, we'll stand steady and secure, already where we need to be, already sheltering in the only one in whom we can find safety forever. So let me ask you tonight, in who or what are you seeking refuge from the troubles of life? Really? When we're going to other things, for refuge and security. I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like trying to fix your loneliness by marrying someone who doesn't love the Lord or won't help you to love him more. It looks like trying to dull your sense of disappointment over life by buying more things or sleeping with more people or going on more holidays. It looks like continually renovating or redecorating one room after another after another after another in your house. It looks like compulsively checking social media to see how many likes you've got or your financial position to see how much money you've got. It looks like anything where you are going somewhere else to make yourself feel better and more secure and more safe from the dangers of life. On the other hand, when we are seeking our security in God, this is what it looks like. It looks like a deep gratitude for Jesus and for the cross. And a sense of hope in the midst of our darkest hours because we know that ultimately all of the darkness will be overcome by a great resurrection dawn. And when a whole church family does this together, it looks like a community of brothers and sisters who are standing with each other in our darkest hours with friendship and love and grace. And most particularly, pointing each other to Jesus and saying, brother, sister, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. I'd be pleased to hear that yesterday the cat and I bonded a bit more. And I think he's coming to, she's coming to uh, trust me a bit more. So I hope that in the future when she feels threatened or insecure, she won't run from me, but to me. She won't run to find security somewhere else, but she'll run to me knowing that she can trust me. And may it be increasingly so in our lives when we face dark times that we feel towards the Lord like that, that we don't run to other things, but we run to him. And that we taste and see that the Lord is Indeed, very good. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you that at all times you are good and in the hardest times we see it the clearest. May we learn to trust in you and depend on you and we thank you that you will rescue and redeem us from every trouble as we take refuge in the Lord Jesus who guarantees us a resurrection to a new and perfect life with you forever. And so may we each taste and see and celebrate that you are indeed very good. Amen.